Hello and welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This is episode 114, 18 days and counting. What are we counting, you may ask? Well, is it fingers and toes? I have just enough, Ryan. (laughs) Bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah, no, no. It is, if you're listening to this on Friday, April 9th, uh, then it is 18 days away from Atlassian's Team 21. And here to talk about it with me are Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Brenda. Good to see you guys. (laughs) Always a pleasure. And we start, as we often do, in the Atlassian cloud, where several updates have been rolled out to the Jira platform. So let's take a look. In the new issue view, the comment bar now adjusts depending on activity sort. So the comment bar is getting smart depending on whether you sort activity by oldest or newest first. In particular, it is now ensuring that you can always comment right above or below the newest comment. So when you're updating your team, you're going to have the newest context right in front of you. There is new and improved security for the get filters rest endpoint. This will affect developers in the ecosystem because they've rolled out a security patch to keep data safe from anonymous access while using the deprecated get filters rest API. This API endpoint will no longer return your project names and owner information to unauthenticated users. Project creation has also been updated in Jira where creating projects is now simpler with the new template library. Uh it, it makes me wonder if uh, the Jira project templates are going to work the same way as the new Confluence page templates, you know, where you create a page and then afterwards you select the template you want to use. So like, will you create a project and then change the template after the fact? It's, uh, that hurts. Oh, there we go. That feels, feels like a... <laughs> Ouch. But shouldn't you just be I, using Jira work management if that's what you want? <laughs> I assume that won't be the case. We had, you know, project templates and server for a very long time where it just uh, sets up your issue types and uh, workflows and whatnot with some different defaults depending on the template you select. It's bringing that to cloud. But the language that they use here, it reminded me of that, that recent Confluence story we talked about with the page templates. Then. So, oh, Yeah, and I'm sure if Atlassian announces it, we'll cover it. Like in the same granularity, if you can change your Jira project after the fact, I want to shake the per- that person's hand who yeah. suggested that. Honestly, it would be a nice feature to be like, oh, I want to, I want to change my issue types and workflows. Like I want to do them all at the same time instead of having to go through and modify nine different schemes. I just want to swap templates, and then it it does the automatic migration. You just sort of do your your little matching dropdowns. That actually would be sweet. So Atlassian, uh, you know, you can contact me for royalties on that one. Uh, just whenever you're ready. <laughs> don't forget to cut a. Don't forget where is agents. Ten <laughs> percent off the top. And in response to heavy demand, trash is now available for Jira software and core projects. As we all know and love, accidentally deleting a project can cause irrevocable data loss. So now, when you move. There is a safety net in place, and uh, admins will still be able to restore projects from the trash, permanently delete, view when a project was moved to the trash, see who did it. Not going to rat anybody out, but we're going to know. And we'll be able to view when a project has been permanently deleted. Atlassian's also added the ability to quickly refine and reset your search results from within a project in the top search bar of a project's menu. 
and a new reset button. You don't have to blow on the cartridge or anything. If you've added deployment data, you can now filter that by a date range in the deployments view. And finally, in roadmap, you can remove the epic bar by default. Jira Service Management, on the other hand, has had a handful of really nice quality of life upgrades for the ESM teams in your cloud life. With the new incident timeline, if you use major incidents in your projects, you can now view their entire history in Jira Service Management with the timeline. So you'll be able to see what's going on with the incident as it occurs, see what's being done and what still needs to be done to resolve it. To view them, you'll go to incidents and under major incidents, select ongoing or past. Then you'll be able to find which one you'd like to explore and select view in the timeline column to see more about that incident. I'm really curious about the backend for this uh, incident command center, this video and voice call tool, because there's elements there that we saw uh, from Stride. Like it's really reminded me of that. And I know that when Atlassian did their partnership with Slack, um, I thought they had they transferred a lot of that, but I, um, I'm too Slack. But like, I know they've had some acquisitions since then. So like, this is really interesting. Um, and I wonder if we will see like, this level of integrated video voice functionality uh, coming to other places within uh, w within the tools. Uh, you know, you can kind of picture like, oh, let's have a quick call about this Confluence page. Click a button, put in some profiles. It pops up, you know, for people or or on an issue or something like that. Like, it's just really interesting. I wonder what's you know where this is under the hood. Yeah, that was the next. That's the next big thing. Is the incident command center is rolling out this week. So if you are a Jira service management user and you have access to the ICC, hit us up ASAP on the DL in our DMs. And another fantastic addition to the Jira service management experience, make changes to multiple linked spaces at once. So you're able to select multiple spaces and unlink them or change who can view them by going into project settings, knowledge base, right from Jira service management. And finally, across the entire cloud suite of tools, you have enhanced invite visibility. So you're now able to quickly and easily invite your team, your friends, your family into your Atlassian cloud instance with the new menu bar. And that's it from the cloud. That's a lot from the cloud. Yeah. Especially the uh, incident command center. That's that's big news. Well, yeah. In things that are not cloud, um, for Jira server and data center, we are um, very happy about 8.16.x. Um, so 8.16 came out March 23rd. Um, a few really cool highlights. Um, you can get more information around how custom fields are being used. We all know that custom fields... While they're incredibly flexible and give us a great deal of power, phenomenal <laughs> cosmic powers. Yes, it can be really it can be really tricky as an admin to know. Okay, how do we clean this up? Are we using this? Can I get rid of it? Um, so there, you can now go in and, and get more information about the usage. So that you can go. Okay, we're not using this one as much. We can get rid of it. Um, so there's two new columns: issues and last value update. 
showing you how many issues are using that custom field and when was the last time a value was updated. Um, columns are sortable. This should help admins. <gasps> Ryan's face. Oh, yes, if you are a JIRA admin, this is the update for you. Um, and this will make life a lot easier. You can also, it gets better. It's better. You can bulk delete custom fields. <gasps> Being able to see the usage was great, but now we can get rid of multiples at once. So you can select um, a group and delete them all together. Um, as Atlassian says, it's not that we want you to use it particularly often, but we're guessing that with the new features, you'll find plenty that can be deleted right away. So if your performance is a little laggy, um, if you need to clean up, the, there's some tools to do so. As a reminder for the Jira admins out there, when you delete a custom field, you are deleting the data stored in those fields as well. So like if you just remove a field from the screen, the data is still stored there. You could restore the field, the, the data is still there, no big deal. But when you delete that custom field, it's gone. And the custom field screen now shows you, you know, which screens it's on and uh, has a bunch of like helpful data to help you, you know, decide is this the thing you want to do or not. But with great power comes the great ability to screw things up royally. So, you know, <laughs> be careful when, when hitting that uh, bulk delete there. Indeed. Indeed. I'm sure we can look forward to a trash can for mm, deleted custom nice. fields at some point. Um, I do want to point out those are both labeled as data center only. And then you can also configure default values for the description field. I like this one. You can now um, add a default value to multiple issue types and projects um, instead of just having that blank description field staring you in the face. So that's that's nice, a nice feature. Can let users log in with multiple identity providers, um, letting your users choose which one is right for them as they log in. Checking the status of data pipeline exports, um, feeding information into BI platforms like Tableau or Power BI. Keeping Jira safe by disabling basic authentication. Um, so, Again, advising a switch to SSO and disabling basic authentication completely. Some indexing improvements for better performance. Um, lots and lots of resolved issues, a nice long list for this particular uh, set of updates. So the Jira Software 8.16 release notes will link in the show notes. Um, again, if you are a data center admin or a server admin, you wanna take a look at those pretty much as quickly as you can because there's some nice, nice things in there. And Jira Service Management, releasing 4.16, also March 23rd. Um, a lot of these are the same updates as what you would see on the Jira 8.16 release notes. There's also an update across uh, both Jira Core and Jira Service Management around indexing that I think is really, really cool. Uh, so actually like a big change here, Atlassian has introduced two different queues for indexing. There's now a user queue that gets priority and then everything else, all those background tasks. So uh, if you kick off a re-index, that means user actions will continue to work. In the past, you could do a background re-index, but everything would slow down. Uh, users could still do stuff, but it might impact performance. This should reduce that impact on performance. Uh, and they say that things like background re-indexing SLA recalculation, which is always painful if you have a whole lot of issues in your service management uh, interface, uh, should be about 10% faster uh, with the, the full index consistency retained. So um, 
this almost, it's not really like a footnote on the page, but it does feel minimized. And yet I look at that as one of the really big, big improvements here. Uh, really it's, nice work on that one. Uh, to the, the team because to the it's last in the list, it, it's easy to kind of skim over that. And I confess I did. Um, but you're absolutely right, Matthew. That's a huge improvement to the way they handle the indexing. And very often, if there are issues, you know, I'm I'm working in Jira and I created a filter and I don't see it as I try to pull it into a dashboard. Oh, have you re-indexed lately? Um, mm -hmm. So there are lots of things that are fixed by a re-index. And yeah. putting the priority on the users, that's that's a very clever solution to a thing that it's just, you know, the, the indexing has just been this way in the Atlassian tools for as long as I can remember. And it's, this will slow down everything, but we got to do it to make things run. So we're just going to eat it. So having this sort of improvement is a really major thing. And I'm, I'm Matthew, thank you for calling that out as a much bigger deal than it would look like just kind of hanging out at the end of that list there. So on to Confluence, 7.11.2 was launched 25th of March. This is a bug fix release, uh, but with at least one exciting update. There, there are six total, but there's one that I voted for, so I feel particularly <laughs> happy that this bug has been fixed. Uh, page history versions that were not reordered or renamed when deleting intermediary ones. So let's say you had three versions, version one, two, and three, and you deleted number two. You would then have version one and version three of the page. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of version one and version two after the deletion. So that had a knock-on impact for some stuff for Script Runner for Confluence. Nice to see that that's been fixed. Uh, some improvements to uh, uh, how tables, uh, particularly table headers, are handled. Uh, so Confluence 7.11.2, uh, quick bug fix release, should be a smooth upgrade. But as always, check the upgrade notes uh, as you go through that. Confluence server 61076, the office macro, because the office is capitalized. It makes me think of the TV show. Uh huh. You know, wouldn't that be like just the greatest, like April Fool's joke? You'd have to do it on cloud so it would go out, but like, because uh, uh, otherwise people wouldn't necessarily see it. But if like on April 1st at last, you could release a macro called the office macro with a capital <laughs> O, and it just plays a random office GIF off Giphy or something. <laughs> That's all it does. This year's April Fool's joke was pretty good. But for next year, Atlassian, when you use our idea, again, royalties can mm -hmm, be mm -hmm, delivered mm -hmm. directly to us. 10% off the top. Don't worry about it. 10% off the top. Matthew's I on fire. swag checks and Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and Doge. Dogecoin also accepted. NFTs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll sell you an NFT for these ideas. <laughs> Uh, on that note, more words that sound techie that some of us on this call <laughs> struggle with understanding. No offense, dear Ryan, we love you. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine. Um, for those of you that are using Bitbucket pipelines, um, you can now disable artifact downloading on certain steps that do not require any artifacts. This seems like a no-brainer. Uh, but it will allow for faster builds and can reduce costs overall as a result. There's a flag that will be added to the scripting that's done for the pipeline. The uh, blog post that we will link to in the show notes will give an example of what that script looks like. 
Um, further information on using artifacts in your build steps uh, are linked to from this article. So it's a very quick little post just to, hey, this thing is here. Uh, and as always, we will link to it in the show notes. So if you're running Bitbucket pipelines and you're interested in, in that little performance enhancement, please do check that out. And now on the podcast, some big news from our friends over at ALM Works. And here to announce the launch of Structure Deliver are ALM Works Head of Solutions, Jeremy Stark, and Head of Marketing, Dave Rosenland. Jeremy, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Ren. Thank you for having us. All right, guys. Now, according to our very own Nelson Jordan, and I quote, but I won't impersonate, from my perspective, Structure Deliver offers tremendous value and is a great addition to the Structure product family. It fills a void in the Jira Enterprise Agility journey by enabling project managers to more easily coordinate senior management's long-term plans while letting agile teams be agile. That is high praise from Nelson. So tell us, who did you build Structure Deliver for? Structure Deliver is for uh, anyone who's managing the large-scale uh, portfolio level projects at an organization and is responsible for coordinating that project around dates that leadership is trying to hit. And this will generally involve projects that span multiple teams. Um, and these teams are working in an agile process, so their requirements are coming in just in time. So you're working with a project that doesn't have uh, a full scope set and you're working against, you're trying to target a date that leadership is coordinating other um, groups within the organization around, such as marketing or fulfillment or shipping or some other uh, groups in the organization. So the dates matter. And this is something where I think Agile has um, done a really good job of breaking down the, uh, the waterfall mentality that existed in organizations. But one thing that has stayed true is that leadership still does coordinate around dates long term. And we need tools to help us uh, coordinate those dates because the agile process that processes that we're using are very much focused on the immediate iteration uh, and, and pivot uh, model. So trying to coordinate uh, that approach with leadership's need for uh, long term planning is where deliver comes in. So you guys were kind enough to send us a few uh, so like brochures, leaflets, screenshots in advance. And for our viewers at home uh, who are listening to this podcast, because you can't actually view it, uh, I'm, I'm looking at like a, you know a stacked chart here with uh, some milestone markers and some some projections of dates, like you said, because that's the, the type of thing we tend to look for as human beings. Uh, but I'm I'm reminded of Jira Software's like epic burndown, version burndown, something that sort of takes your sprint data and projects it forward to give you an idea of, you know, how many more sprints you have or like when this work is likely to be delivered. What differentiates structure deliver from the built-in, you know, sort of native Jira functionality? Yeah. So when we first started looking at um, providing date projection, we, uh, as part of our solutioning, really, because structure itself is sort of a data platform, has been part of portfolio level solutions for a while. But when it comes down to having a simple way to communicate to leadership how a dozen teams are coordinating a thousand tickets, some of which don't even exist yet, 
we didn't see uh, 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 the exact solution we were looking for. So one of the things that Deliver brings and one of the key weaknesses that we saw in some of the other products, um, and it goes back to what I was saying about this just-in-time scope generation for Agile teams, Deliver will do scope prediction for teams based on their historical grooming practices. So for example, one of the canonical examples I use is you have an iOS team and an Android team, and you give them a requirement and they want to have parity between the platforms, but the iOS team will take that epic and break it down into 18 little tasky stories. But the Android team will break it down into five or six big chunky stories and they'll swarm those stories. They just have different ways of approaching and thinking about work. So when you're looking at ticket counts per epic, Deliver will look at the um, metrics for how the teams break epics down historically and come up with scope predict predictions per team to fill out a project that is very uh, sparsely populated in terms of actual scoping. We'll give you an end scope target, which is an aggregate of all the teams, but, but based on how those teams think about work. And it combines that with what, what we call team throughput, which is a lower level metric than story points um, or, or velocity uh, and, and things like that. Um, and we combine those two metrics with scope prediction and the team's throughput, and we can simulate these teams executing against their projected backlogs into the future. Which brings me to the next thing we didn't see, which was a single graph that you could put in a status meeting that told you everything you needed to know about a project. Um, and would create a visceral response in leadership if you uh, looked at that graph and you see, okay, we know what our long pole team is. You know, it's billing. They're six weeks over the deadline. Now, immediately, everyone's aligned on what we need to do that week. Um, the questions we need to ask, the, out the outcomes we're looking for by next week. Um, and, and by managing the process in that way, you can keep looking at your highest risk teams focus on the right questions, bring the right aid, and then next week you'll see what, what the change is. And managing a project in that way has been very effective at hitting dates. So just to make sure I'm understanding, so it's pulling, or, or rather it's taking into account the historical performance. Like it's actually using um, presumably something like time and status or, or time from open to close or something like that. Uh, something like what uh, Jira would present in the control chart. But uh, using that to inform uh, these projections. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like everything I always wanted from advanced roadmaps, but advanced roadmaps never delivered. Something like that, sure. <laughs> um, I mean, you can use these other tools and be effective with them. One of the key things with Deliver that we're working on is, is providing the data you need and not a data bit more than what you need. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can get overwhelmed with data and we spend too much time developing narratives around just this avalanche of data. And then you have multiple narratives in the organization and that generally is not helpful at all. It's better to have one narrative that you can push against, you know, frankly, even if that narrative is wrong, proving that narrative wrong is the right work. Um, so what we're trying to do with Deliver is give you just enough data to ask three good questions every day. Um, and that's generally a pretty good cadence to be in. How long does it take to build up the data that you need to do these predictions? Obviously, the more data you have, the better the predictions are. Um, and in Jira, we have, you know, like you have to get through three sprints or whatever to see anything, really. How much do you have to have in place in order for these to start to come into play? Yeah, so um, six weeks is six weeks is is generally a pretty good data set to work with. Okay. 
What you'll find, though, t- like a, if you start a new team six weeks in, they're probably not going to be stable. So they're going to have high variance, which Deliver will tell you about. Um, so a team, a team that's been, in, you know, formed for, for over six months is going to generally have a pretty stable process where they're going to be as stable as, you know, they're going to get. Um, and then you then you grab we actually grab uh, one quarter's worth of data for every team when we're doing the historical analysis. And then for the project data, we just use what we have um, in Deliver. When you first start a project, you haven't got any project data. So it's using the historical. But as the project starts to collect actuals, you'll start to see the influence of that project on on the timelines. Cool. Jeremy, do you want to add a little bit about the, the dials and knobs that the portfolio manager can use working together with the individual project managers to tune the, tune the forecast? Well, Dave, congratulations. You've been promoted to co-host. <laughs> you can see how my, my automatic deference to the host kicked in. Um, so uh, uh, to, to sort of to put a fine point on it, one of the things Deliver is really focused on is the data that you don't have in JIRA, which leads organizations to very bad practices like putting in stub stories um, just to fill out, say, a Gantt chart. Um, so we have the scope prediction, but we also allow for epic indication. Um, I don't have a good catchy name for this, but you can start a project with a team and sit down and just sort of in an hour hash out a few epics the team might you know know about with their product owner. But the team also says, you know, we're going to probably generate three or four more epics before we're done. We just don't know what they are yet. Well, you can tell Deliver to expect four or five more epics from a team. And it'll keep track of that. And as those epics get added to the structure, it'll deduct it from the count, which means that you can you can basically plan out the full scope of this project and then see that scope arrive as the teams figure out what they need and generate. And if they go over that scope, it'll also indicate that, hey, you know, we're seeing more scope from this team than we planned for. Go have a conversation, figure out what's going on. It's really just trying to direct you um, in in real time against the expectations that were set and give you an opportunity to set those expect- expectations early so you can get a commitment from the teams and go to leadership and say, this is what we think we can do. That's really cool. But um, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you do n- you need to be a structure user in order to use structure deliver. Am I right? That's absolutely right. Ron. Yeah. Structure works on top of Jira, but it requires structure to to do what it does. Which I'll use. The, so another thing that we found um, is structure is probably the best data aggregator in Jira. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm a longtime structure user before I even joined ALM Works, and this, that's the product that I found. One of the problems that I've seen with other tools is that they don't have a good data layer. And structure is that data layer for us. So for, as the deliver product owner, I see structure really as my data platform. And it's a very powerful platform to be building on top of. All right, Dave, where and when can we get our hot little hands on Structure Deliver? It will be available um, very, very soon on Atlassian Marketplace if it's not already there by the time you listen to this uh, podcast. Um, We'll be making a big deal about it during Team 2021. Uh, We'll have a white paper available on the Team 2021 website. We'll have additional content and material available via the Marketplace and our own website. Um, and we have actually a fairly large backlog of customers that are sort of chomping at their bit, chomping at the bit to get their hands on this. Uh, we actually, in our Q1 newsletter, which is uh, shipped last week, 
we had a little uh, blurb in there about deliver. And we have it about uh, 70 or 80 initial responses from customers looking for, let me know as soon as this is available. I really want to try it. So I think we really hit the mark with this one. And I want to note that Structure Deliver will be available for Jira Server and Data Center. So the... Uh... Jira Server initially, and, and of course, server apps will run on Data Center. Mm -hmm. But we're also working with Atlassian on the um, approved for Data Center okay. designation. Mm -hmm. So as soon as that, uh, as soon as it's officially approved, we'll add that designation um, to the marketplace as well. And the the never question. the never ending question is actually uh, cloud. When uh, when when that, when is that coming along? Cus customers will will determine whether or not this is something or how quickly we bring this to cloud. Oh. Um, we think initially the demand will be in those in that data center. Um, in server segment, and especially customers that are thinking about moving to data center versus mm -hmm. cloud. But if the demand is there for cloud, then of course we're going to do cloud. Jeremy Stark and Dave Rosenland from ALM Works, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with the launch of Structure Deliver. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, guys. Last, during our sort of last two-week cycle between podcasts, Atlassian published their Community 2020 Year in Review. Uh, so, you know, here on the podcast, typically at the end of the year, we do our end-of-year shot cast, which uh, by the end of 2021 is likely to be our end-of-year tea and scones cast, uh, <laughs> as we, uh, we just can't. We're just not as young as we used to be. It's going to become but, like uh, a breakfast coffee cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The brunch cast. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Community 2020 Year in Review has a, a bunch of interesting graphics and, and stats uh, looking back on, on what happened in the community. And there are some really impressive numbers here. Uh, but we had a bit of an interesting chat internally on our Slack because uh, some of the numbers, like, they are big and impressive, but they also kind of make you quirk an eyebrow and go... But what does that mean exactly? So the top one here, a number of community visitors, there were 20 million total visitors in 2020, uh, which is just astounding. Like that's, I don't know if, I, I assume that they're talking about unique visitors as well. So worldwide, 20 million unique individuals came to community. And of those 20 million, 19 million were new in 2020. So like almost everybody, I mean, not that's still a million people who who were not new. Like that's still a lot of people. But like the vast majority of those coming to community were new this year, which is very cool. 96.2% of all visitors were new, but it raises the eyebrow and goes, but but what about other you know people? Did they did they not return? Uh, we can look at the the stats they link to, say, the 2019 community in review, where there were 18.6 million total visitors, 17.7 .7 of those being new. So again, a, almost 1 million person delta. Uh, so out of those 17.7 .7 million visitors who were new in 2019, only 1 million returned. So this is where some of the stats, like you go, those are really big, exciting numbers, but it it does raise an eyebrow, make you go, hmm, I I wonder what's going on here. Uh, and as you know, my my title at Adaptus, I'm the head of education, so there's a lot of stats about training here, 
which are interesting, new to training, 97.5% uh, who are new to training. That doesn't particularly surprise me. One of Atlassian's initiatives this last year due to COVID was offering a bunch of training for free through the Atlassian community, which was awesome. Help people skill up and get access to stuff. They've launched a bunch of free stuff. Um, uh, and they highlight, you know, the most popular training videos by theme, your basic 67%. Um, but at the same time, when I kind of dig into this, I see that they're kind of conflating popular with view count, um, not necessarily like likes on a video or shares or NPS scores or anything like that. It, it appears to just be views, which doesn't actually mean something's popular or that they like it, um, just that they viewed it. Uh, so we were having this, this conversation just around um, kind of meaningfulness with statistics and conclusions you can draw. How do you use those to influence your strategy development and, and like your, your goal setting for the future? How do you use that to drive change? Um, and like looking back through the last couple of, of years of, of the community stats, um, it does make me wonder like what, what changes there are. Cause there's, you know, even going back to 2018, which was the first year they did this 17 and a half million total visitors, 16.9 million of them being new. Like there's a huge turnover in community visitors. Um, and our visitors just come in once. So they come in multiple times. Um, there's really big stats on the views by content type and like 70 million question views, 74 or 57,000 questions with 74,000 answers. Like a, it's a fairly low engagement rate overall. See the same thing on the YouTube videos. Um, when you look at the proportion of likes to views, uh, it's lower than the sort of the YouTube average across all YouTube views. It's um, about like 40% lower than the average across all YouTube videos. So what I would be interesting, and if anybody from the Elastic community team is listening, uh, and, and wants to have a chat with us about it or, you know, either on the podcast or off, uh, would love to talk more about, uh, where you're headed next. You know, um, it looks like it's, it's been a fairly stable trend the last few years, but when dealing with such a large and diverse community, cause Atlassian's now a worldwide, you know, software organization, how do you increase engagement? Like you're getting tons of new people in, like that funnel is super wide. I mean, it's almost unbelievable, 19 million new users in a year. But if only like three to 5% of them stick around uh, year to year, and is it the same, you know, is it that same 1 million users that's actually from last year that stuck around or two years ago, you know? Um, so maybe there's like a small core of people sticking around year to year, but then all new people are leaving. I don't know. It'd be interesting to like dig into this more deeply and then explore changes you can make to, to get it be stickier, to increase engagement. Um, we have seen, I think, some changes to how the discussion forums work over the last year, to the badging and, and introducing, introducing gamification. I've seen an increase in email, uh, like automated emails that go out that prompt you to come back and re-engage. Um, so I, I think they are taking steps, but like that's the type of thing I, I would love to see more of from the Atlassian community and the uh, leaders in the future. Uh, not just look at the number of views, but more information on how they're uh, using that knowledge, that information, that data to drive improvements uh, in the Elastic Community platform and engaging with users. So 
uh, it'll be, you know, next year we'll look at 2021, but if it's, you know, sort of the same thing, if, if the trend continues, it's going to be, there's 25 million total visitors this year and 26 million or 24 million are new, uh, you know, but only one of them is the most active leader winner award and adaptivist colleague, Nick Bruff. Mm-hmm. There can mm-hmm. be only Hello. one Nick. Always be posting. And that's it for this edition of Adaptivist Live. Looks like we're going to have a lot more news in the coming weeks with team just around the corner. Thanks for listening. Be sure to connect with us on social and read the transcript along with our show notes on adaptivist.com. So from Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. We're all just firing on like two cylinders today. <laughs> I don't even have cylinders. I'm down to a quarter, man. What yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's what 114 episodes will do to you.